Monica McNutt, ESPN, on the call for Jazz Clippers last week. She was also here with the Knicks covering the Jazz. Talking young players, talking development. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. Plugs off the top, because the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, this is a good week to tune in. Front row with Holly Rowe had Sean James, manager of college scouting, to discuss how they get things done. There's an awesome story about who first tipped Sean on Taylor Hendricks. And as someone who's been on this podcast feed, you think about what goes into a scout, and it is very much like Hustle, the movie. These guys are watching games, 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 traveling here, traveling there, getting intel from the guidance counselor, getting intel from the teacher. They're going all over the place. And so Sean James is awesome on the draft, on scouting. Jazz are going to be drafted a lot. They have plenty of selections. So what goes into that? Hear from Sean, hear from his process. The note, history of the Utah Jazz. It was 80s night on Wednesday against the Knicks. And I was on the outcast. We talked to Frank Layden. Can your day get any better than talking to that jazz legend? Dude was awesome. Rewatch the outcast, but listen to the history of the Utah Jazz on the note. Examine the move to Utah from New Orleans. When was the first time that the team experienced success? What made Utah a viable market? You know, you had the Utah Stars, ABA. Then you add 79, Bird versus Magic, up on the University of Utah. Educate yourself. The note, History of the Utah Jazz. It's all right here, where you're listening to this. Just check this feed. It's a little bit earlier. You'll be able to find it. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Monica McNutt. She's great to have on because Jazz trending younger, developing... Keontae and Taylor, their first interviews on television as NBA players, as draft picks with Monica McNutt. She's on the draft. Hearing her perspective on Keontae, on Taylor, got good news that Keontae is going to be re-examined after the team comes back from the road trip after Sacramento. But Monica wears a lot of hats. She's a reporter. She's an analyst. She's a lover of earth, wind, and fire. We talk about it all. Right here, Monica McNutt on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Man, JP. First of all, I love Christmas, so we're just going to go with all the Christmas cheer. Um, I and I, I love what I get to do for a living and call a living. Like basketball is so much fun across so many levels. And so I'm very, very fortunate. And you were probably these guys on the Jazz, their first interviews when it came to the NBA draft, when it comes to Taylor Hendricks and Keontae mm-hmm. George, who mm-hmm. played on the floor mm-hmm. against the Knicks and when you were on the ESPN game on Friday. 
yeah, Friday versus the Clippers. Um, it's funny because we were like talking to those guys that shoot around, and I'm like, Kelton, you remember me? And he's like, for what? And I'm like, the draft. He was like, you was on the couch. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and Taylor remembered me a little bit quicker. It took Keontae a minute to get it. But um, I think, listen, I know it's going to be a year of challenges for the Jazz, but I think you guys should be really, really excited about those two young men, among other pieces that you have. That has to be one of the cooler jobs that you have because the draft, you're seeing dreams getting made on that night. How cool is it to be in that room for you? Man, JP, the draft has easily become one of my favorite assignments because it is just dreams coming true and people overwhelmed with emotion. I have an incredible producer that I work with. Um, it's two years running now. I will say there's a, it's a little bit, if I, I think if I was just a reporter at ESPN, it would feel a little bit different as opposed to someone who also then moves into analysts on NBA because there's, it's great when it's like Keontae and Taylor and I get to see them. It's a little tougher when it's some of the other guys and like the draft was sort of the pinnacle of their career and it's a little bit tougher for them to find their way as NBA professionals. Um, but it's great to share that moment with those guys. It's just a reminder, like, it's so hard. The NBA is so hard. The The athletes are so talented. The coaches are so detailed. Like, to be able to find your spot on an NBA roster and contribute and stay, like, not even be a guy that's in a trade piece a bunch of different times over the course of your career. Like, it's just so hard. And I think the draft kind of reminds me of the privilege that I have to cover this league and these incredible athletes. And they're getting younger every single year. So young. The guys that the Jazz drafted, both of them on draft night were 19. So young. Like, we literally, I remember texting my best friend, um, and that's just my best friend and my fiance. Like, I'm like, is it weird that I'm closer to some of these parents' ages than these kids? And he's like, that's where we are. My fiance is like, that's where we are. <laughs> it happens. Age catches us all. Uh, Will Hardy's a younger coach. What have you gathered from seeing him operate a little bit in both roles with the Knicks and with the ESPN? I think Will is terrific. It's funny because Will and I are the same age, right? Uh, I think that his grasp on the journey set some apart. When we were preparing for the ESPN broadcast when the Clippers came to town, he mentioned starting in the video room and as a developmental guy, like, yes, he comes from the Spurs tree, but he's also worked with a plethora of really great coaches, whether it's Bud. He mentioned Becky Hammond, which Andrea and I, and Ryan, of course, loved because we worked so closely with the WNBA and women's college basketball. But he rattled off all of these coaches that he had the opportunity to work closely with and all of these different roles that he's had as he's ascended now to head coach. And I think his grasp on the journey and the toll of success individually makes him so poised for this generation of athlete and to be a head coach in this league. I just think he's so refreshingly honest, um, candid, and just like real. Like I, I know for myself, I did an interview a few weeks back talking about my role now as an NBA analyst, and I am actively growing, learning, and getting better. And Will kind of says the same thing. And yes, you do represent expertise, but it doesn't mean experts still can't grow and get better. And I think he owns that. And the unique accountability that I think he has already established with his players, both ways, I mean, is just going to make him a league favorite as a head coach. I can see it. He's great. And I think he's on the same trajectory and same growth pattern as the players that he's coaching. The Jazz are buying in on him as a young coach that they hope develops into 
somebody who sticks around for a while, but they're buying early. He was an uh, intern just 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's funny because we talk about, we just talked about how young the league is getting. And then a month ago, I'm in Phoenix, and KD is like, everybody just wants to call you old or injury prone because you're a certain age. And he's like, I'm not mad at it. It speaks to how young the league is getting. But just because you're older doesn't mean you're ineffective. He's like, what do the numbers tell you? Which kind of stuck with me because the only person that we seem to be up and all about about their age is LeBron. And rightfully so. I'm not taking anything away from that. But there are at least 10 off the top of my head I can think of 10 plus 12 plus year guys in the league that have been able to maintain their productivity. Now I say that all to say on the other end, you look at a guy like Will and what you guys have in Utah. I don't even throw myself into the category of Will. The formula of years in terms of laying a foundation to set you up for those 10 plus years, hopefully, of success is just as important. And I think sometimes we take it for granted because you look at the end, not the end, but you look at the 10 years in and forget what it looks like for the first two years and and how you establish who you're going to be. Absolutely. Keontae, and it's unfortunate that he went down last night against the Knicks, but he was playing so well up until that point, coming off of a career performance. What have you gleaned from his early play as he's tasked with being the lead guard? I think as I've covered the league going for, I guess, four years now-ish, whether it's with the Knicks or ESPN, you kind of find that there's really two buckets. Guys that are talented and guys that are talented and love basketball. Keontae goes in that second bucket, in my mind. He is talented and he loves basketball. Uh, My colleague, Andrea Carter, and I, we were just so taken aback as he's talking about his game day routine and how watching film the day of the game, not of himself, but of his opponent, is part of his everyday routine. And he is voracious in his consumption of the game and not just a sitting and kicking it kind of way, but in a high-level basketball, learning about myself, learning about my opponent, learning how to improve, how to be better kind of way. And so I just think uh, Will described him as an alpha, which I thought is a huge compliment to a rookie. But again, talking about Will being very connected to his players, he knows that he's kind of teaching Keontae. And he said this in the pregame conference versus the Knicks as well. It's not just about the what or the how with Keontae. It's about the why. Because Will can already see, like, this dude gets it. And the more I can get him to get it on the integral level, the better he's going to be, not just for himself, but for the organization. And so I had so much fun talking with Keontae. I looked at him like, do you feel like a baby in the locker room? He's like, nah, but it is kind of weird to be telling my teammates where to go when I'm I'm one of the youngest. But like, I don't feel like a baby. And then he's just so honest about like his first, um, oh, this ain't summer league moment. Because I said to him, I'm like, Keontae, you went off in summer league. Like, yep. you was it. Like, we everybody was all this kid, Keontae George, wah, wah, wah. And I was like, who was the guy that when you got to dad's training camp was like, oh, yo, this is not training camp anymore. And he actually said it was Chris Dunn, who was an important rotational piece, but it wasn't like Jordan Clarkson or Lowry Markkinen. And so it just goes to show you guys that are tenured role players in the league, that is still such an elite level of being able to do this well at such a sustained um, amount of time. And so for Keontae to be like, Chris was the first one of them, like, yeah, this ain't summer league no more. I loved it. And he was just so candid about it. Every single player in the NBA is at such a high level and... There are so many guys who aren't in the league right now who could still be productive in the league if they got that opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's how great that it is. Taylor Hendricks, who had a different path from Keontae, who starts with the Jazz playing in, in the NBA. Taylor had some time in the G League. How yep. do you think that 
that helped him out in his process of getting up to speed, getting NBA level minutes. So Taylor, and this is why, like, I will admit, JP, I get so excited about young teams with bright futures. And I probably do it a little bit prematurely. Like I was the first, I don't say, I won't say first, but I was early in on the Memphis Grizzlies. And so the current state of affairs like hurts my heart. Yeah, I don't know. But what I will say. Um, I don't know about that. About, I just, I was in early and then it was like, oh, it all blew up. But anyway, back to the jazz. <laughs> I think what you guys have, first of all, you've got a bunch of great dudes. Like they just seem like easy personalities. But in the case of your rookies, and I'll even throw Ochai into this, even though he's a second year guy, they seem to really want to improve. And so Taylor, while he was candid about not loving being set to the G League, he talked about having to rework his mental to understand that this is not a demotion, it's not a negative, it's not a punishment, it's an opportunity. And he kind of joked with us talking to Ochai. Um, I think he said he was talking to Ochai and maybe Colin a little bit, but I guess on the bench that is uh, facing the court, you run out of space. And so sometimes you'll see guys on the baseline. Yep. And so Taylor was like, I just remember like, they don't even really have a seat for me. Like I'm over here. Like, and so he was like, he had to change his mindset when he got the G League opportunity to see it as an opportunity and not a punishment. And he said he realized that the opportunity to play basketball against guys that were as strong, even though they're not on the NBA level, was helping him to get better. And so once he adjusted his attitude, and this is him telling us that, he was able to capitalize. And obviously now that he's up with the big club, you can kind of see all of the potential. Now, he's still young. I, on our Knicks broadcast, I actually called him a little bit Bambi-like because he had to guard Julius Randles at points, which is like just a tough day in an office for even an NBA pro, let alone a rookie who's going back and forth between the G League. But you can see he's got size, he's got confidence, he's got athleticism. Uh, I think the game will slow down for him as he continues to get reps on the NBA level. Um, but even Will said, like, when the G League team is playing and he has time, he makes it a point to go make sure he goes and sees those guys so Taylor knows that he's not forgotten. So I just think y'all have a really good thing going right now. I know it might include some lumps this particular season as you are young, but you've got pieces that I think most organizations in the league would be very excited to have. What advice would you give to people who are watching this team to look for wins? Because I think the wins, if they don't come on the court, it's going to be in those things, seeing Taylor get more confident, seeing Keontae get more confident. Those might be the wins that people should look for rather than scoreboard. I would agree with you on that. But I think even in-game, look for spurts as wins. And I don't mean that from a patronizing place, but I had so much fun with the Jazz Clippers game. Like, and, and I will let you in. This is probably not a secret. Y'all were coming up with 50-point loss. We were all like, okay, how many stories might we need if this thing gets away from mm -hmm. us? Mm -hmm. And it never really got away. Now, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and those guys, they proved to be who they were. But the energy on the run of the third quarter and even into the fourth quarter when Colin Sexton is zipping up and down the floor and, like, they're pushing at these guys and the league shrinks to, I think it might have gotten as low as eight or – um, even though it ultimately ended up being a double-digit game, like the runs to me are indicators of growth and success. And so that is fun, right? Um, Will continues to say, and I'm sure you guys have heard it, he never wants losing to become numb to his guys. He wants them to continue to compete. But I think, I mean, frankly, y'all weren't supposed to beat the Knicks. Like the Knicks know that, but that's a win and you should celebrate it. I was sort of joking with Niall Campbell Raina, like, why was there confetti? She's like, we won. Like, it's <laughs> we celebrate every win. Um, but I think you look at spurts. I think you look at individuals. I think you look at the way that these guys play against 
some of the upper echelon teams in the league. Like, they did not back down versus the Clippers, who at the time, I think, were on a seven-game win streak. They're a different team home and away. That crowd helps. That, the crowd, the altitude, like, it's a good, it's a fun environment. What it has been the reaction from the Knicks side of things losing that game? I'm sure it's very For- measured because it's New York. People are taking it very in stride. Absolutely, JP. That's my favorite thing about Knicks fans is their their passion. Now, I do Knicks fans, it's funny because I actually said this on the broadcast last night. I said similar to Knicks fans, I do think that Jazz fans are very smart as well. Yeah. Knicks fans are emotional. They wear their hearts on their sleeves. But when you get them to settle down and have a basketball conversation, whether you agree or disagree, they have thought about why they've gotten to whatever the stance is. Tom Thibodeau said, and it was actually one of my keys to the ball game as you got me now looking for my box score, because I want to just check it real quick. Um, he felt like if, if the Knicks had been able to rebound, they probably would have won that basketball game. And I think that there's some real truth to that. The rebounding margin, as I'm looking at it, was 53-46, to 46, right? Out-rebounded by the Jazz. Second-chance opportunities are Jazz had 17, Knicks had 21 second-chance points. To me, the rebounding is a piece, but the Knicks shooting 23% from three, like, sometimes you're going to have days like that. And I think... Both a lesson for the Knicks and a tip of the cap to the Jazz, you've got a team that is looking for measures of growth. The Knicks played around too much. And I can remember on the broadcast being like, this is either about to be a display of incredible resilience after a woeful shooting night for the Knicks or complete collapse for the Jazz. And I don't know if Will would put that in the category of one of their best performances this year, but it probably was their most complete because they were able to hold on to finish the win. And so I think when the Knicks end, you're adjusting to life without Mitchell Robinson, which is very real. Can't deny that. You shot the ball, probably one of your worst shooting performances of the season. And sometimes you have nights like that. So the game had very little rhythm and harmony if you were wearing blue and orange. Do what you can with the film. Wipe your hands off and keep moving because this West Coast road trip that we're currently on is no joke. If you're the Jazz, grinding out wins is completely fine because I don't think that this is a, a team that goes extremely fast. Like the eight second call that Colin Sexton got on Jalen Brunson. That's not a point, but that invigorated the crowd that got everybody going in the second quarter. And that was as big as any dunk that Taylor Hendricks or anybody could have had. And great. I agree. There were these small moments, not even that one that led to the eight second violation, but I think the jazz went to the box on one of the few times. That yeah. They did. Yep. The various times I think, I think I saw Colin. I can't remember if I saw Taylor. Definitely um, saw Ochai a couple times. But the various guys that are tasked with guarding Dunn. Jalen Brunson. Right? Chris, Chris Dunn. Dunn did a terrific job. And I know they go back to their Big East days, Providence and Villanova. But Chris Dunn did a terrific job. And so I think if you're the Jazz, you saw the systems and the play calls work, which gives a young team confidence. Mind you, Keontae goes on the first three minutes of the game. You don't have Jordan. You don't have John. Like, this is a huge confidence boost. And I got to give Colin Sexton a ton of credit. When I was here last week nationally, I jokingly, but sort of also complimentarily, called him Sonic because of his speed. But I thought he played with terrific pace against the Knicks. That was the Knicks. That was probably more variance in speed and pace of a ball game that I've seen from him from a minute. Now, I'm not watching the Jazz as much as you are, but I thought it was a very impressive and mature performance from him. He even followed Jalen Brunson out of bounds on the boxing one. Listen, he was he was locked he in. He was all over. He was he all was over him.
Now let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. going around Instagram guys where the first part of it is the horns the beautiful horns in Earth Wind and Fire's song September right and that's supposed to indicate things going well in your life the beauty of it all then the second part of that audio is like it literally sounds like that to indicate reality hitting and tonight this was a rhythmless performance across the board and so I just want to pack it up throw it away and move on as we're wrapping up I want to get to in tune of out of, or out of tune because you did the earth, wind, and fire TikTok sound basically on the MSG post game show. And I want to do it with a couple of teams that the Jazz will be seeing here in the next couple of weeks. If okay. this team is in tune or out of tune, or the action was in tune or out of tune. First up, okay. Bucks Pacers. The entirety <laughs> of what happened is that in tune or out of tune? I gotta go attitude on this one. I gotta go attitude. Yeah. As fun as Indiana has been, it was very as fun as Indiana has been. Let's not make the end season tournament too much. Mind you, you were the runners up to the end season tournament. Tyrese Halliburton, I'm in. I buy it. You're the real deal. MVP conversation, sure, why not? You're taking this Indiana team that most basketball people work curious about to start the season but also very uncertain you put them into a place where you guys are forced to be reckoned with offensively right historically you can't play zero defense and win in the league like you just nope. can't right and so to me it is out of tune because it's petty and it's a lack of focus on what you're ultimately trying to achieve the bucks been to the mountaintop took home the hardware trying to get back this year do they have some things that need to work out yeah I have no problem with y'all chirping, ejections, text, the whole bit. Get after it. Could this be a budding rivalry? Who knows? But the ball thing, I just think that's a level of petty that you haven't had enough success to have. I agree. And I also question because NBA Today gave an examination of this. The Bucks security director had a ball that they were in possession of. So I don't even know what ball we're arguing over if the Pacers got a different ball. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like I of course we've all watched this a gazillion times. I, yeah. I thought the NBA Today segment was hilarious today. We've all been on Twitter, X, whatever you subscribe to, threads. It to me, it is it becomes a story for all the wrong reasons. Yes. Right? And and I get it. Part of why we engage with the NBA is the petty. But if y'all lost to them in a playoff series last year that was hard fought, or even beat another team in a playoff series, the success is to still too new, too fresh. You haven't won enough for you to have that much energy for pettiness. The Celtics, best team in the East. 
I think there's a clear way to go on this one, but in tune, out of tune are the Boston Celtics as a team. Somebody asked me two weeks ago, the best team that I've seen in person. And it was without hesitation, the Celtics. So I'm going to go in tune on that one, particularly when Kristaps Porzingis is healthy. We talked about Will Hardy, and obviously he was on his staff alongside Joe Mazzula, another coach that I think is terrific. I don't know that Joe has the same personable traits that Will has, but I do think he has a great basketball mind. And I think he's growing in the role of head coach and is growing this year. Um, Celtics, man. Ooh. And I know coming into the season, once the Dame trade got done, I was kind of like, ooh, Bucks. And I was like, but if the Celtics get Drew Holiday, he might be the guy to take him over the top. He's so well-respected around the league. He's obviously won a championship. The Celtics have been so close for so long. And I did not expect Kristaps Porzingis to be this good. I think once a guy gets tagged injury-prone, it's tough for us to let it go. Kristaps Porzingis, he's been a, he torched the Knicks, the two times the Knicks have played him. Um, he's just a matchup nightmare. And then they're defending. Like, yeah, Southern's best team in the East, in tune. He had a great year last year. I loved that they went out and traded for him in the offseason. I, I, I don't want to say I expected it to fit as well, but they were my pick preseason team to come out of the East. I think that that's once a final tr- team. Once the trades were done, like including Holiday, or yeah, once the Porzingis inc- one was done? Including, uh, including Holiday, including Porzingis, I thought that was the best team in the East. And Got it. Not a disrespect to Denver. I picked mm-hmm. them over Denver only because the Nuggets are going through losing Bruce Brown, losing other pieces that younger guys will have to step up. And it's okay that they go to the finals, but I don't think that they're ready for the finals level of competition, if that makes sense. I hear what you're saying. I don't know that I can pull them over the Nuggets, though. I think that's I that's think- the best five. I think that's a better five than what the Celtics have but I think Boston has more depth. Uh, Boston has more depth right now. I kind of think those young guys with the Nuggets are coming. They need a backup big. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, right now, frankly, uh, Nikola Jokic just a little bit on, on a skid of his own. So the Nuggets are working through. I know this is also a good own. time to say it about the Nuggets right. because Jokic <laughs> is, is having trouble. He will figure it out because he's... Of course he, he will. He's amazing. Snack basketball minds that we are. We know that. This is a, a safe time to say it about that. <laughs> the Knicks played the Cavs last year in... The first round. Uh, About a month ago, I think I was keeping an eye on them a little bit closer than I have been lately. And I do know that there are lots of hopes and dreams attached to Evan Mobley. And he may or may not have reached the promised land. Um, I think Darius Garland is terrific. I think Donovan Mitchell is also terrific. I just don't know how much they improved. And I'm a Max Struess fan as well. So I'm going to let Cleveland work it out through the end of the calendar year and kind of tap back in with them around Martin Luther King Day, maybe. I actually, I think that's when I have my game. So probably a couple of weeks before that. So I can start keeping an eye on them closely. <laughs> How do you approach both uh, roles, knowing that you're going to be both a reporter and an analyst during the season? Um, I probably, I'm not probably, I definitely watch more film 
if I'm coming in as analyst. Uh, so I can call out tendencies, plays, familiar plays, ask coaches questions about what the intentions are behind certain actions. Uh, as reporters, a little bit more reporting in terms of stories that can support what the analyst and our play-by-play guy kind of already have. But in both roles, if I have the opportunity to go to shoot-arounds or hang out with the team or whatever, I totally take advantage of that. I heard you on the shoot-around for the Clippers. I heard you at the end talking to Jordan Clarkson. Um, yeah, and, and Jason was really cool. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's so fun to kind of bounce around the league and see the different personalities of different teams. The Knicks guys, the Knicks have great guys as well. They, for the most part, are pretty chill, too. I think there there's a little bit more seasoning in terms of league experience. But, like, the Jazz was, like, one, it's sort of refreshing to go to some of the smaller markets and the amount of access you get because they're just, come, sure, come. Like, they're so awesome. Uh, we got to talk to everybody we wanted to talk to, whether it was at the podium or off to the side. But there's some real pieces, I think, that we're going to be talking about um, in a few years in terms of shaking it up. You guys should be excited about that. We're looking forward to it, and you'll be analyzing it, I'm sure, on ESPN. We're seeing some of the draft picks, the many draft picks that the Jazz have at the draft. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then, though, too, like on the low JP, and I don't want to get into this too much, but, like, you do have many draft picks. And, like, could the process maybe be a little bit more expedited because of what the potential that you guys have in terms of adding to a roster? So we'll see. Like, I think it's it's a lot to be excited about. Trade season is starting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Analyst, reporter, many hats, ESPN, Knicks. It's Monica McNutt on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Monica, appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me, JP. It's high-level journalism there, JP. Mm-hmm.